You're listening to audio from One Church of High Point. If you'd like more resources or would like to donate, visit onechurchnc.net. Glory be to God, man. We thank you, Lord. We thank you, God, who who is forever with us, who, who was the same yesterday, today, and forevermore, Lord. Father, we just ask that you have your way in this place, Lord. Touch your people, Lord. I ask that you give them ears to hear you and give them ears to see you today, Lord. Father, I ask that your word rests mightily on their hearts and on their minds, Lord, and that you meet them right where they need to be, Lord. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Amen. Give it up for our worship team. Thank you for the audible. Amen. Glory be to God. Amen. Well, I'm just letting you know that's the encouragement you get for today. <laughs> What's about to come next? No, I'm just playing. I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. No. All right. Um, so uh, if you have your Bibles with you, you will be st- um, coming out of the Gospel of John, uh, chapter 4. Um, we will start at verse 6 and then jump down to... 27 through verse 38, as I get up here. Um, just some quick things real quick. Uh, we know we have that team in Alabama, so I want us to continue to be praying for them uh, in, your, in your secret time or as God puts it on your heart. Pray for them, Lord. Pray that God's moving down there, that God is planting and sowing and watering and getting an increase uh, because it is very important. Um, this is what we're called to do, and we'll actually talk a little bit about that today. Um, one other thing is that we don't hear, uh, I'm glad uh, um, Nicole had touched on this. Uh, for you men out there, we do have a men's group, and uh, we meet every Wednesdays. Um, in the summer times, it's kind of iffy, so I just encourage you to come out, uh, lock arms with us. Um, you know, so um, it's important that, that us men come together to, to stand in the gap for, for where God has us and, and just to grow in iron sharpening iron. So if you're, not, if, you, if you're not connected, please get connected. Uh, let us know. We'll add you to our group me. Uh, get connected on the, um, the app. And because and, 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 we're, we're trying to do some great and mighty things as well. You know, we always hear about the women. They do everything. And um, we, we, we got to keep up. We got to keep up with them. You know, they, they, we got to be equally yoked, uh, so to say. Amen. Amen. Um, anything else? Yeah, I want to touch on one more thing. Um, as you know, I'm a deacon, and my wife is a deacon as well. And we have uh, Becca, Shane and Becca Key, and we also have uh, Brian and Cassie Sims. Um, and we have some other ones. We, we will be introducing some more. We've had some changes. Uh, I just want to let you know, as, we, as we, we try to reach out to everybody, but, I mean, as you see here, there's a lot of people in here. And, and so what I, what I, what I just um, encourage you to do, if you have some issues, you have some problems, please come see one of us. Come talk to us. Um, we, we definitely want to reach out to you and be the first to reach out to you, but you, you can also reach out to us because we want to know what's going on. What can we do better? How can we help you? How can we walk along with you? What, what can we do to encourage you? Because um, that, that's what deacons are encouraged to do. So I just, I just implore you, if you need something, just please come. You can come talk to me. You can come talk to my wife, Tanisha, uh, Shane, and Becca Key. They're very personable as well as uh, Brian and Cassie. So um, I just want to say that. All right, so with all that house business out of the way, let's uh, get to the word. I hope you're there. Again, I'm coming out of John chapter 4. I'll start at verse 6, and then we'll jump down to verse 27 through 38. Um, I come out the NASB. I believe it'll be on the New King James Version up there. That's okay. It's still God's word. Um, And and this is where the disciples and Jesus, they were coming to, uh, they were walking, going to Samaria, and they come to the well. And verse 6 says, and Jacob's well was there. So Jesus, being weary from his journey, was sitting thus by the well. It was about the sixth hour. Verse 27, at this point, his disciples came, and they were amazed that he had been speaking with the woman, yet no one said, what do you seek or why do you speak with her? Verse 28, so the woman left her water pot and went into the city and said to the men, verse 29, come see a man who told me all these things that I have done. This is not the Christ, is it? Verse 30, they went out to the city and were coming to him. 
Verse 31, meanwhile, the disciples were urging him, saying, Rabbi, eat. Verse 32, but he said to them, I have food to eat that you do not know about. Verse 33, so the disciples were saying to one another, no one brought him anything to eat, did he? And then verse 34, Jesus said to them, my food is to do the will of him who sent me and to accomplish his work. Verse 35, do not say there are yet four months, then comes the harvest. Behold, I say to you, lift up your eyes and look on the fields, that they are white for harvest. Verse 36, already he who reaps is receiving wages and is gathering fruit of for life eternal, so that he who sows and he who reaps may rejoice together. Verse 37, for in this case the saying is true, one sows, another reaps. In verse 38, I sent you to reap that for which you have not labored. Others have labored, and you have entered into their labor. Focuses on um, verses 32 and 34. Verse 32 says, but he said to them, I have food to eat that you don't know about. In verse 34, Jesus said to them, my food is to do the will of him who sent me and to accomplish his work. I want to speak to you today from the topic of it's time to feast. It is time to feast. Lord is uh, preaching time, and preach is not easy, but it is made easier by the, uh, your Holy Spirit. So I ask that I decrease so that you may increase. In the end, you get all the honor, glory, and praise. In Jesus' name, amen. As we, as we listen to the word of God being preached each Sunday, uh, we should be viewing it or processing it through the lens of the, the word God has given uh, one church this year, which is the, the word of revival. Revival is the word that God spoke to uh, Pastor Ryan specifically for one church. Every sermon topic God has given the speakers this year should be and can be, be viewed under this pretense of revival. Pastor Ryan started the year off talking about 2 Chronicles uh, chapter 7, verses 14 through 16. And we all know it. If my people who are called by my name humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then I will hear from heaven, forgive their sin, and heal their land. And in order for a revival to take place, his people need to humble themselves. We need to pray. We need to seek his face, and we need to turn from our wicked ways. That means we need to repent. Then what? Then, then we, will hear from, uh, we will hear from God. He will forgive us. He'll heal our land. He'll answer our prayers and show up and show out. Then we had a sermon series on the Red Sea rules, right? And just like God did at the Red Sea, God does in the revival. He lets us know he will never leave us nor forsake us. He shows up at our lowest moment when there seems to be no way out, up, down, or around. He'll split that Red Sea. Miracles will break out way out of no way. He'll revive us. So then we went into our spiritual warfare uh, sermon series, understanding we like the great movement and acts of God and the revival, you know, the heavy and intense and very present presence of the Holy Spirit, but we often forget that we have an adversary who, who prefers the dead us and not the revived us. We were reminded that we surely will be facing spiritual opposition uh, in, in, in a time of revival, but... We have weapons in our arsenal to defeat the enemy, be it the, the, the logos and the, and, the, and the raiment word of God, be it the full armor of God, being praying. We, we have these weapons in our arsenal to defeat the enemy in the spirit, which brings us to our sermon series, right? There, there's no topic or title, but as I've been listening to God speak through my brothers in Christ with revival in mind, I noticed the common theme so far, the, the theme of purpose and calling. Pastor Ryan spoke on the question of why am I here, stating, we do have a God-given purpose for our lives. And then Pastor Santee spoke on the prodigal son and the father's love. And within that, he spoke about who we are. He summarized it in three questions of who am I, which deals with our identity, uh, where do I fit in, dealing with, with our belonging, and what difference can I make, which deals with our purpose. Then Pastor Hunter, he touched on three calls of Peter, the call to repentance, the call to follow, and the call to be sent. And, and, and in that, you know, we have that same call in our lives too. We have the call to, to, to follow, to be sent, and to repent. 
And then last week, Pastor Jason touched on our Pledge of Allegiance. Who is it to and who, who should it be to? Is our allegiance to God or is it to some other idol? And, and so now you're caught up for the year. <laughs> so <laughs> if you haven't been here, now you know what we've been talking about. So here in Revival, God is telling us that we have to repent and turn from our wicked ways, come to a place of total surrender. Within Revival, we will see the miracles and the mighty move of God. Reminded us he will never leave us nor forsake us. We, remember, we must remember that we will f- face spiritual warfare and from, from our adversary who wants to keep us lifeless. And now God is saying, I revived you for a purpose. You have an identity in Christ. You have a call on your life. You have aligned yourself with me. And the purpose and call on your life, you were revived for, has a purpose and a goal. So let me say that again. That purpose and calling and gifting that you have on your life has a purpose as well. And we see that in our focal scripture. The purpose or end goal of the callings on our lives, the, the purpose of me teaching, the purpose of your gift, the purpose of you being at your daily job, the purpose of you going out evangelizing, the purpose of your testimony, the purpose of your, our relationship with Christ is to, to do the will of him who sent me. And not only do the will of him who sent us, but accomplish his work. It is so easy in today's world to, to lose sight of why we do this. The attacks in the spiritual and natural takes our focus off God and off his will and keeps our focus on us and the things that lead to death. We have to remember the will of the Father is for us to lead people to repentance and to place them and get them to a place where they can meet Jesus and obtain what we as believers have already received. That same joy the woman at the well exuded as she ran back into town to tell everyone who would listen who she just met doing the... uh, doing the will of him who sent her and accomplishing his work. There is a purpose to your call and purpose, and that is his will. And in doing this, we see that this food, this meat, is meat for us. And just as food does for our natural body, sowing, watering, leading people to repentance in Christ fuels us. And if we are weak, it will refuel us. It sustains us and nourishes us. That is our food. So, so let's, let's get into the scripture. And before we can get into all the commotion about who fed Jesus and what he ate, we first need to talk about Jesus being weary. And, 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 and so what I want to mention to you is that we have a relatable Christ. And, and that's important to know, know that we have someone who went through the things that we went through. And we all know, like, when we, when we have a problem, we want to talk to somebody who went through that problem, who can relate to us. And I always want you to know we have a relatable Christ. In verse 6, Jesus states that, it states that Jesus was weary from his journey. So he stayed at the well while the disciples went into the city to buy food. We know the gospel of John speaks on the deity of Christ. When someone first comes to uh, Christ, we always, a lot of times we lead them to John, chap, the gospel of John, so that they can, they can learn about who God was, who he is, the, the deity of him. And, but the gospel of John also mentions the weaknesses of ma- the man of Christ. John is the only one who mentions Jesus saying, I thirst on the cross. In that, and in verse 6, John is showing us that Jesus was a real participant in man's limitations and weaknesses. Even though we know in his divinity, he neither wearies nor faints. Jesus, 100% God, does not get tired. In his deity, he doesn't thirst or sin. But throughout the gospel, Jesus makes sure to show us he also knows what we go through in the flesh. He is a real participant in our weaknesses and limitations. What a love by our Savior. Whereas the creator must not share in our weaknesses and shortcomings for those he created, the redeemer must participate in that from which he redeems. Or how, or how else can he say, come to me, all who are weary and heavy laden, and I'll give you rest. Or his strength might be made perfect in our weaknesses. But what I want us to take from Jesus' weariness is that is what we should be too. We are called to be imitators and followers of Christ. If Jesus' work, the miracles, the cleansing of the temple, the preaching, the teaching, and making disciples, if if, if those things took him to a place of weariness and he did not exempt himself from the service, 
because of the labor, then what about us as believers, the, pro- the professed followers of Christ who will say we cannot serve or minister to people or preach the gospel because we are tired or it will make us weary? One of those, or, or those of us who say Jesus is our Lord, but we can't give up one moment of enjoyment, one moment of self-denial, one moment of comfort, or one moment of sacrifice. I'm reminded, it was funny, as I was, as I was preparing for the sermon, a memory on my Facebook page popped up from nine years ago. And it was from my pastor up in Pittsburgh. I call him my, my spiritual father, Pastor Frederick Wright. And, and, and it's nine years ago, like in, it was like June 24th or something. It's, and it said, what do I look like going to my eternal rest well rested? Come on now. I believe that's one of the realest believer statements I've ever heard. If we walk in the way of the Lord, it will not be without work. It will not be out without toil. It will not be out without sweat or getting our hands dirty. And surely the labor will make us wearied. But in those intersecting moments where God is sending us orders to do his will via that still small voice or that ever so loud directing of our past, and, and, that, and, that, and those God's voice comes against the agenda of, of life happens, spiritual attacks, or laborious uh, worry uh, flesh, in those intersecting moments, will we succumb to the desires of the flesh and the whispers of the enemy? Or will we remember our relatable Savior interaction at the well and say to ourselves, what do I look like going to my eternal rest well rested? Because that is truly the heart of, heart of God, and that's the heart that God wants us to have. So the next thing I want to get into in this, in, from this uh, passage is our heart's aim should be do, to do the will of God. And in speaking of hearts, I love when we read the Gospels and we get to see the heart of Jesus. And we see it in verse 34 where Jesus said to them, my food is to do the will of him who sent me and to accomplish his work. When reading this statement from Jesus, we understand that he just had this encounter with the woman at the well. And we know the outcome of that. Excuse me. The reward of this encounter. Uh, But in this statement, we see that the aim of Jesus' life was the doing of the Father's will rather than the actual carrying out and materialization of whom the aim was pointed at. So what I'm saying is that the goal of Jesus' life was doing the will of the Father rather than the actual work of the ministering to the people and the reward that came from the work. If we're honest, there has been points in walks in our, in our times in our, in our walks with Jesus where we get caught up in the glory or failure of the outcome and in and, 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 um the outcome or how we are going to get to the uh, desired outcome that we have. And in that, we end up totally outside of God's will because our focus, even with good intentions, shifted from God's will to my way. Look what I did. I did that. I brought that word. You know what I mean? I can't say that or say it like that because they will be offended. The word food here means nourishment, to make grow. Jesus' desire, goal and, motive to, goal and motive to pursue and accomplish God's will and commandments nourished him, it revigorated him, and it fueled him. The motive was more important to Jesus' heart than the holy and glorious result of the woman at the well. In one church, followers of Christ, it must be the same for us. We have a mission, but we have a Father in heaven who sent the mission. And the Father who sent the mission spoke to us through Jesus, whose food was to do the will of the Father, obeying no matter how he felt, so that when we are weary, we can do as he did and say as he did. The will of the Father must trump our will. We must submit fully to to his will, and the Father's will always must be prevalent in our lives. Your will, not my will. Your will be done, no matter what we do at our day jobs, at the grocery store, here at church, hanging with our friends. Jesus showed us that the absolute submission to the Father's will and the intentional awareness of doing it was what life was all about. And so, too, should our lives be as well. On the cross, Jesus said, it is finished. And leading up to that statement were moment after moment where Jesus obeyed God doing his will. My food is to do the will of the Father, completing each separate uh, divine will of God up to accomplishing, perfecting, 
bringing to an end the Father's will, which was on the cross. We too, those who call ourselves his, should have a similar life. One continually doing God's will day after day, season after season, until the fullness of that work comes to completion when he calls us home. Are we doing that? Will we do that? Is the aim or focus of our life to do the will of the Father? Matthew 7.21 says this, Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but he who does the will of my Father, who is in heaven, will enter. Once we become and call ourselves his, the Father's will in accomplishing his work must become our lives too. Uh, so the third thing we can, we can see from this is that God's will reinvigorates us. See, I would do a disservice if I didn't touch on the food or meat. Jesus says is the true food for us all. When the disciples came back from town, they didn't ask him, uh, him, ask him a question about the woman he was speaking to, but was insisting on that he eat. Rabbi, eat. And thinking Jesus needed that natural food that they had brought back. And Jesus' answer to their insistence to eat was, I have food to eat that you do not know about. To which the disciples were haggling like they normally did. Who gave him something to eat? I didn't. Did you? You know, they were leaning on their own understanding of food that satisfies the natural. Jesus' statement of, I have food to eat that you do not already know about, infers that, one, that the once weary Jesus has ate, has food, and is reinvigorated, bringing together the divine will and the accomplishment of the divine work as being the meat of the soul. As we feast on this meat, our spirit will grow and be nourished. If we do not feed upon, if we do feed upon the fleshly desires in our will and the disobedience of our actions, it will be as if we're like eating I don't know, rocks and, or sand or whatever, will be malnourished in famine, never growing into the fullness of the spirit we were created to be. Do you feel malnourished in your spirit? Do you feel spiritually weak? Is your spirit hungry? I mean, that's the question. We must live by obedience and let the will of God feed our souls. Because make no mistake about it, the truthfulness of Jesus is my Lord is directly in proportion to the depth and wholeheartedness of our desire to do the will of God. I'm going to say that again. I'm telling you, the truthfulness of Jesus is my Lord to us is directly in proportion to the depth and wholeheartedness of our desire to do the will of God. The delicacies of, the, of this world, the love of money, living outside our means, the need for the designer things in order to portray an image of the world, can fan the flame of our eagerness of of obedience to the will of God, which is the call of a believer. But I'm reminded of Daniel and them Hebrew boys, who in their obedience to God stood firm and ate only fruits and vegetables and drank water rather than the finer delicacies of the king's kitchen. In that, their faces, what happened, was radiant, and they looked better than those who ate the swine and drunk the wine. I have food to eat that you do not know about, and my food is to do the will of him who sent me and accomplish his work. Just as we've seen with Daniel and them Hebrew boys and with Jesus in this passage, the less we depend on, our, on and use the outward natural goods and depend on the will of God and the things of the Spirit, the closer we get to the place where holy desires and lofty goals visit our spirit. Be closer to Christ. We begin to live for him. That delivers us from the dependency on the earthly things, on the, earth, the earthly sustenance, and puts us in line with the will of God. So I've been saying the will of God, I've been hammering that down. So, but what is it? What does that look like? The will of God is, is this thing that is the meat of our souls. In John uh, chapter 6 and verse 40, he says, For this is the will of my Father, that everyone who beholds the Son and believes in him will have, inter- will have eternal life, and I myself will raise him up on the last day. That moment we behold Jesus and believe in him, our lives according to our agenda are worthless and hopeless. We are condemned to death and give up our lives to Jesus in order to receive life. And from that moment, our life is not our own. It's crucified with him. The life I live is of Christ, and I live to do God's will. This is what we see with this woman at the well. 
a weary Jesus speaking to this woman against the law of the world at the time, doing something not allowed by society, a woman getting natural water which can satisfy her flesh, but who was in need of the living water that can deliver her spirit. Jesus led her to the realization of who the living water is and her need for him. And Jesus clarifies this further in Acts 1. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. And you shall be my witnesses, both in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and even the remotest part of the world. This is taking his interaction with the woman at the well and painting a bigger picture. He is saying, under the power and direction of the Holy Spirit, you will be my witnesses doing God's will in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and even the remotest parts of the earth. This is a commandment and direction for the believer. As a believer, we, we receive the power of the Holy Spirit. We are to do God's will, be Jesus' witnesses everywhere. And, and when we look at that word witnesses, in the Greek, the word for witness is martis. That is the root for the word martyr. While I have read where some people have said that, that martyr, the dying of your faith in the name of Christ, is what the disciples understood when Jesus said this, a probably a more accurate defining of, of martis would be a witness who is willing to testify about the facts of a case or to, to confirm the truth of something. Though being a true martyr was more prevalent back in the days in the New Testament, even though it's happening in some countries today, Jesus is commanding us to be a witness who is willing to testify about him, the way, the truth, and the life, and stand on that truth. But let's not be mistaken. Maybe not now, but in these end times, our witness can lead to persecution and death. We have seen it throughout the New Testament up through Revelation. Let's take Stephen, for example. He died as a martyr. Acts 22:20. 20, when Paul was speaking to Jesus, he said, And when the blood of your witness, martyr Stephen, was being shed, I was standing by approving and watching out for the coats of those who were, who were slaying him. I mean, now take that. So I want you to look at this through a witness's eyes now. You could be witness and someone's over here watching who's not on your side, but eventually they come into an uh, interaction with Jesus because of what they've seen what happened to you. Then we got... Let's go, let's go to Revelation. There's someone named Antipas. He was slain as a martyr. In Revelation 2, uh, verse 13, and Jesus was talking to the church at Pergamum. I know where you dwell, where Satan's throne is. I want, don't miss that, man. A church is dwelling where Satan's throne is. But, but hold on. They, they held fast. It says, you hold fast to my name. They did not deny my faith, even in the days of Antipas, my witness, martyrs. So even though his church dwelt where, where Satan's throne was, they held fast to his name, did not deny his faith. And then he said about his witness, uh, Antipas, my faithful one. Understand, when you, when you do the will of God, you are his faithful one. You're considered faithful to him who was killed among you where Satan dwells. Mm, and he was killed among the church, witnessing. Mm, that's, that's a good one. And then we had these two witnesses in tribulation and they were, and they were killed in Revelation uh, 11, verses 3 and 7. And it says, I will grant authority to my two witnesses, martyrs, and they will prophesy for the 1260 days clothed in sackcloth. This let us know that our witness ain't, ain't just a one-time thing. This thing can last, should last a lifetime, 112 and six, 1260 days. And then verse 7, when they finish their testimony, the beast comes up, up out of the abyss, will make war with them and overcome them and kill them. An uncompromising witness giving a clear testimony for the truth can get you in deep trouble. In today's world, Jesus is commanding us to confirm the truth of the gospel message, regardless of the consequences. Death? Probably not. But I'm sure God's will will have great opposition. You'll encounter disagreement. You'll, you'll have backlash. You might get shunned, even when the truth is coming forth in the love of Christ. All because the world and this Lord is opposite of the will of our God. So what will we do then? Will we be like Stephen or the two witnesses in Revelation? Standing firm on the foundation of the truth of God and his will? Because going back to our focal scriptures in verse 35, it says, Do you not say there are yet four months 
Then comes the harvest. Behold, I say to you, lift up your eyes and look on the fields that they are white for harvest. Because Jesus is saying, lift up your eyes. Stop focusing on the things of this world. Stop focusing on your problems, yourself, your situation. Don't you have the power of the Holy Spirit? Am I not the way maker, miracle worker? Lift up your eyes. Why is he saying that? Because there's something to see. Look on the fields. That fields, that place, is, that's, that's translated as like space or a place or land, even country and region. That sounds like a Judea, a Jerusalem, a Samaria. That sounds like the remotest parts of the world. That sounds like an Alabama or a Guatemala. You better see what God's moving here in, in this year of revival in one church. Lift up your eyes and look on the fields that they are white for harvest. All those places are white for harvest. When a field is white for harvest, that means it is ripe. It's ready to be harvested. When grains are fully sprouted and in peak condition for gathering, it approaches the color white. A ripe grain field looks like a sea of white. And Jesus is saying the world is ready for his witnesses to do the will of God. The white is defined as it's a bright white. And when I think of bright white, I think of God's presence and his glory in the Bible. Whenever God shows up in the Bible, we see the bright white lights. It, it blinds those in his presence. You know, we, when Moses had to cover his face in order not to blind the people after he came out of God's presence. God is present in the harvest. He's waiting for his workmanship. He's waiting for his hands, his feet, his tools. He's waiting for you and me to accomplish his work to witness to the downtrodden, the blind, those who are weary and heavy laying, to witness to the widows. Who's the widows? Those without a bridegroom. Come on now, church. The orphans. Who's the orphans? Those who need to be adopted into the kingdom of God and become co-heirs. He's, he's looking for us to witness to the sick, followers of Christ. It is time to feast. There is a harvest of people out there who need to have an interaction with the one who can set them free forgive their sins, heal their land, and bring them into a new covenant. As, as, I'm reminded of a, of a, of a bookmark that's, um, that, that, that sits on my desk in a cup. I work from home. Um, and this bookmark, I had received this uh, 10 years ago. Uh, when, when Tanisha was pregnant with Ariel, I went on this retreat, this men's retreat. It was called the Walk to Emmaus, right? And, and in that, on that retreat, it, it was a, a men coming together, and it was, it was focused on that walk to Emmaus, you know, when, when, the, when they were walking, and they were walking to Jesus, but they were having a casual conversation with him, an intimate conversation. And even though they didn't recognize him at the time, they, 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 they were talking to him, like we talked to each other. And then when they sat down to eat and Jesus revealed himself, they were like, wasn't my heart burning uh, when he was speaking? And, and that's what that men's retreat was about, to try to get us to this intimate place with God, this, this place where, where we can talk to him like those men on the road, that he is very ever-present and relatable to us. But the thing that, that why I kept this bookmark, it sits on my desk, and it's been out for 10 years now, still in good condition. I'm, I, don't I don't think I read a lot. I don't use it. Uh, but... Uh, it's, it's the saying on this, on, on, on this bookmark. Now, we, we, we like to say, we always like to say we're counting on God, right? Uh, God, I need you to uh, 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 fix my finances. I'm counting on you. God, I need you to fix my relationships. I'm counting on you. God, I need you to handle this problem. I'm counting on you. And, and, that's, and that's all true. But the thing about this, this bookmark it starts off like this, and, and, and it's so profound to me. It says, Christ is counting on you. Then it says, I am counting on Christ. So a lot of times we get that thing mixed up and that, that, that we count on Christ, and that's so true. But the, the, the matter of fact is, God is counting on us. Once we become into a relationship with him, we're called to do something. We're not called to sit. We're not called to focus on us. We're not called to, to just, oh, I'm saved, now I'm going to eternal life. No, we have a mission. That mission is God's will. And, and it puts our lives in perspective that, that Christ is counting on us. It aligns us in our lives with God's will. 
Our focus is on him. Our desires is on him. Our agenda is his agenda. And in this exaltation of him, what does Scripture say? He'll exalt us. We can count on him. And it's not about us. It is about those who God does not want to perish. I don't care what you want to say. We, us as believers, if we're being honest, we missed that mark. We missed that mark. It's not about us. The fields are out there white for harvest. It is our jobs as the body of Christ, his hands, his feet, his toes, his elbows, his fingers, his kneecaps, to make his will the aim of our lives and our hearts. We must have that same mindset because Jesus is counting on me. He's counting on you. As the uh, worship team comes up. So, what are we going to do, church? I know life is rough. I know you're weary. Some of you have been laboring. We are tired. The enemy is, uh, is attacking. Our flesh is rising up. And at the same time, the fields are white for harvest. What will we do? As Pastor Jason said last week, who will we serve? The harvest is depending on us feeding, feeding on God's will. You know, I had uh, this picture. I came across this uh, picture, and, and I wasn't sure if I was going to say it because it just came up yesterday, and I, and, I, and I just knew it was John. I mean, it was God's... Uh, God's will, and I, I, I didn't want to make Brian do extra work and rework my slides. Uh, so, um, and I knew it was from God because it said, it, it was a page from John Wesley's diary. And you know, it's a Wesleyan church. So I said, oh, God, you're speaking. Uh, and it, it's, it's a page from his diary in late 1700s. And it's, it's like the month of May. So I'm going to just read it to you, and, and, and it fits this so well. It says, Sunday morning, May 5th, preached in St. Anne's was asked not to come back anymore. Sunday evening, May 5th, preached at St. John's. Deacons said, get out and stay out. Sunday a.m., May 12th, preached at St. Jude's. Can't go back there either. Sunday evening, May 12th. Hold up. He keeps saying Sunday morning and Sunday evening. I I'm just saying, church. I mean, we we I'm just saying. I mean, like, I mean, I'm just saying. Sunday, May 12, preached at St. George, kicked out again. Sunday a.m., May 19th, preached at St. Somebody Else's. Deacons called a special meeting and said I couldn't, couldn't return. Sunday p.m., May 19th, preached on the street, kicked off the street. Man, dang. <laughs> Sunday a.m., May 26th, preached in the meadow, chased out of the meadow as a bull was turned loose during the service. Sunday a.m., June, June 2nd, preached out at the edge of town, kicked off the highway. Man, but get this. Sunday p.m., June 2nd, afternoon service, preached in the pasture. 10,000 people came to hear me. Come on now, church. The harvest is ready for, to right. It's white for right. It doesn't matter what, he, what you think John Wesley was going through, the discouragement day after day, twice a day, being kicked out, being told, get out of here, being talking about that word that you're preaching is not truth. It's against the, the enemy and the, and the Lord of this world. But what did he do? He kept persevering. He did what Jesus did at the way. I'm sure he read this and was like, guess what? If my, my weary Jesus continued to preach the word, to preach the gospel, to bring someone into a relationship with him, I'm going to do the same thing. And I'm not going to stop. I don't care what they say. I don't care what they do. I don't care if they don't like it because what? It's the truth. And then what happened? I feel 10,000 right for a harvest hearing the word of God coming into a relationship with him. Because some sow, some water, but God will get the glory. Not every time we speak to somebody, not every time we witness to somebody that, that they're, they're going to bring their life to Christ. That's not the goal. The goal is to do God's will, show up where he tells you to show up, say what he tells you to say, do what he tells you to do, and he will get the increase. I know this ain't this encouraging, 
disencouraging uh, word that, that, that we all need to hear. That's why I did it in the beginning. Because we have a job to do. And you will be weary. And it will, and it will tool you on you. And, and, and you will, it will, it will hurt. It will be hard. But it's not about us. It's his will. So I'm going to end the sermon on 2 Corinthians chapter 6, verses 2 through 10. I'm sorry I got y'all up here a little early. But um, I believe this summarizes this sermon. It gives us a picture of the life of a believer, the life of a witness. Two opposite ends of the spectrum of our walks, both ends being true. But the greater being what we have overcome through and received in Christ, which should, fo- which should focus the aim of our lives on the true food of our soul, which is God's will. So 2 Corinthians 2 says, six, chapter 6, verse 2 says, starts off like this. For he says, at the acceptable time I listened to you, and on the day of salvation I helped you. Behold, now is the acceptable time. Behold, now is the day of salvation. Come on now, now is the day of salvation. Giving no cause for offense in anything. Point there. Stop taking offense. Offense will keep you bound. Offense will keep you shackled. Offense is a trick of the enemy to hold you back and to receive what God has for you. What did we say in the beginning? The battle's not yours. It's God. Give it to him. Sing in praise. He'll take care of that. So that the ministry will not be discredited. Mm, you take offense, it discredits everything that you do because it changes your countenance. It changes your heart. But in everything, commending ourselves as servants of God. Hmm, servant of God, is do- a servant does the will of the master. So don't miss that. So it's doing the will of God. Commending yourself to do the will of God. Now here we go. Here comes, here comes the weariness. In much endurance... In afflictions, in hardships, in distresses, in beatings, in imprisonments, in torments, in labors, in sleeplessness, in hunger. Come on now. When we're committing ourselves to service of God, we're going to go through all that. But in all that, we, gotta keep, we, have to, we have to act like how God wants us to act. We have to be who he called us to be. We have to, through much endurance, through the afflictions and the hardships, we're going to have distresses. We're going to have beatings and labors. We're going to be sleepy. We're going to be tired. We're going to be hungry. But we also have, when we get with this relationship with God, what? Impurity, in knowledge, in patience, in kindness, in the Holy Spirit, in genuine love, in the word of truth. In the power of God. How are you walking this thing out? You walking it out in your own strength? Or are you, or you, or you doing the will of God to let it feed your soul? I have food to eat that you do not know about. But you know about it. Go eat. It's time to feast. You have the power of God. You have the patience. You have the kindness. If you're operating in the Holy Spirit. In the power, in the power of God, by the weapons of righteousness for the right hand and the left hand. You got righteousness right here. Everywhere you turn, the righteousness of God is with you. You got to start believing this thing. We walk around, do we really believe it? We believe what the, what the, what the TV says. We believe what our music says. We believe what, in, in somebody else's life. Do you believe it in your life? By glory and dishonor. When you witness to God, you're doing it in glory, but best believe you're going to get some dishonor. You're going, you best believe people will come against you and try to dishonor your name. By evil report and good report, same thing there. But understand, the only report that matters is God's report. If you're doing the will of God, that's all that matters. Who cares what Joe Blow Schmo says about you? If you're speaking the word of God, if you're being a witness, if you're doing his will, it doesn't matter. It's all about what God says about you. Fix your mind. Regarded as deceivers, yet true. Oh, how many times has somebody said you're deceiving them? Oh, you, you don't love me. Oh, you hypocrite. Oh, no, I'm not. I'm, what I'm saying is truth, and you can't handle the truth. It was that movie, right? 
You can't handle the truth. As unknown, yet well-known. Oh, we always looking like about a name, right? Well, oh, I know. Oh, they don't see me. They, guess what? God sees you. And guess what? Those who really know, the, who know God and who God sends you to, they see you. God sees you. Don't forget that. You're known. It's, it's not about this world. It's not about, ah, Jesus. As dying, yet behold, <laughs> pick up your cross. And it should feel like you're dying. If it doesn't, you're doing something wrong. Or you're or you, or you following the wrong Lord. I'm, I'm speaking truth here. We live, yet die, as dying, yet behold, we live. That's right, you live. When you're dying, when you're carrying your cross, you live. When you're, when you're living for Christ, when you're doing the will of God, you're living. You're living, I'm telling you, you feel good. Who, how, many per, how many people have prayed for somebody and they, and they felt it and their lives changed and you, and you walked them to this place of repentance and they took God? How do you feel? Man, you feel like you're going to run through a wall. And, and that's the thing. What we miss is this. Hold on. I'm going to get ahead of myself. <laughs> yet not put to death as sorrowful yet. Always rejoicing. Have to always rejoice. Always. Always. Good times, bad. Thank you, Lord. What are you trying to show me? Become a student. Take out your pen and pad when things ain't going right. God, what are you doing? What are you trying to say to me? What are you, what are you saying? What am I missing here? I'm missing your will. What is it? As poor yet making many rich, don't miss that thing. We talk about the miracles. Uh, Jesus said, you'll do these things and greater. But get this. Yes, guess what? Do these things. We can heal the sick. We can lay hands on people and heal. We can cast out demons. But the thing that's greater is this. Doing God's will. Because what's it say when somebody comes to Christ, when they get their life to Christ? The angels of heaven rejoicing. That's the bigger miracle here. They couldn't do that before Jesus died on the cross. So that's why he said you will do these things and greater. The greater thing is, is, is going out to the harvest, being the witness, getting them into a place of a relationship with him, letting them see what you give, giving them the love. That's the greater thing. And when you do that, the angels in heaven rejoicing. Having nothing, yet possessing all things. I don't have much, but I got the greatest thing in the world. Can nobody tell me that? I don't care what I'm going through. God has done so much in my life. I tell you, I do not, I do not worry. I do not fear. I know he's going to do it. I thank him. I praise him for the trials. I pray him for the tribulations. There is nothing he can tell me that he can't do. Nothing. I got a daughter I look at every day who says that God is a faithful God, that he, that, that he will do what you ask for. He will give you the desires of your heart. Don't walk around here like you ain't got none. If you got Christ, you got everything. Everything. So, everything. So if you're, if, you're, if you're a believer here and maybe you're tired, you're weary, you're going through some things, it's okay. Go eat. There's a buffet out here. Everywhere you walk. If you like to eat like Pastor Ryan, there's a buffet out here. So you want to be rejuvenated. Go give somebody the word. Go share something with somebody else. Come to this altar. Be revived. If God's calling you up, if you're going, you're balancing something, don't be afraid. Forget all these people who's looking at you. Only thing that matters is you and God at this altar. If you do, if you do not know God, if you have not given yourself your life to Christ, you have a purpose. You have a gift in your life. You have a calling. You have something that somebody else needs. You have something that somebody who does not have a relationship with Christ, they need you. We need you. We need to lock arms together. We're a body. I'm a big toe. You could be the, the middle finger. I don't care whatever it is. We need you. God needs you. Christ is counting on you. So if you haven't given yourself life to Christ, there's no special prayer. You ain't got to come up and come up to me and say, John, can you pray? No. 
I'll pray with you. I'll, walk you. I'll help you. I'll walk you through it. But all you have to do is believe in your heart. For no, first of all, you need to say, God, I'm a sinner. I'm a filthy rag. But, Lord, I'm at the end of my rope. I'm at, I'm at the beginning where you're at. You came down from your seat on the throne. Walk with us. Got crucified for us, spread on the cross, shed your blood to cover my sins, and got buried on the third day you rose. I believe, and you will be saved. This altar's open. Do not leave here without getting what you need. I don't care if you believe in God or not. If you're going through something, you come up here and meet God. Because guess what? When we're at a, when we go to a hospital, we got an ailment. We can, we, can, we can encounter a front desk person who gives us a hard time about our insurance. We could be in the waiting room for four hours. We, we, could, we could be, a, the waiting room could be packed and the people are getting on our nerves. But guess what we don't do? We don't leave without seeing the doctor. And if we happen to leave, if we happen to leave, guess where we go? To another doctor. I'm telling you this right here. You got Jehovah Rapha, the God that heals. You got Jehovah. You got a God that wants to make you, set you free and be free indeed. You got a God that want to make you whole. So if you're here today, I don't care how you're here. God is speaking to you. Come get your healing now. God don't care about nobody but him and you. We thank you, Lord. We praise you. We exalt you. We magnify you. You are a worthy God. Lord, as we leave this place, Lord, Give us, give us eyes to see the harvest, Lord. Give us a desire and a heart to do your will, Lord. Father, help us, Lord, to lift up our eyes off ourselves, to lift up our eyes off the problems, to sing and praise and let you handle our battles so that we can do your will and it can be accomplished. Thank you, Lord. We praise you. We exalt you. We magnify you. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for listening to audio from One Church. If you made a decision of any kind today or would like to learn more about what your next step is, visit onechurchnc.net. If you are local to our campus, plan your visit online at onechurchnc.net slash visit.